All right, guys, what's going on, Reckless? How are you guys feeling tonight? You feeling good? Feeling good? All right. This is, uh, this is the last week of our series, uh, The What If Experiment. And so this whole series, we've been talking about faith. Uh, we talked about how God can do incredible things through prayer, how God is willing to work for us, how God wants to work for us in all things. Uh, so this week, we're going to focus um, even more on prayer. Um, sorry, even more on faith. Um, Every day we have to put our faith in something, whether it's you're putting faith in your car to get yourself from point A to point B without breaking down, uh, whether it's putting faith in other people if you're on a sports team or if you're doing a group project or if you're putting faith in yourself to get stuff done. But a lot of times we have to put faith in these things even when the situation isn't ideal. Uh, like we put our faith in our cars, but what if it, you get in your car and it doesn't start? Or we put our faith in other people, or whether it's a sports team or a group project, but what if they don't hold up their end of the deal, and you, you lose the game, or you end up failing the project? Um, the, the problem with having faith in all these other things is that they're not eternal. These things aren't all powerful, and these things hold our faith to a certain extent, but these things cannot guarantee us results when it comes down to the end. Um, and so I want to tell you guys a story about when I was 10 years old. And for this story to really hold any weight, you have to know what I looked like when I was 10. So let's go ahead and throw the picture up there of 10-year-old Cody. Uh, this, okay, don't even lie like that. This is not a good picture. Um, all right, this is me when I was 10 years old. Uh, when I was 10, we, we moved from Douglasville out to Paulding County uh, with a little bit, like a month left of fifth grade. So the last day of fifth grade, you know, me and my friend worked it out. He was going to come stay at my house. We were going to eat ungodly amounts of pizza. We were going to ride our skateboard and do all this stuff. But the house I moved into wasn't in a neighborhood. It was just kind of off of a main road. And so the house is up on a hill, and the road's right here. But between the two, our driveway went straight down and came back up. So this is back in, like, 2002. The X Games were still relevant. People still cared about that. And so we saw it. We were like, dude, mega ramp. Like, that was the first thing that we thought we saw, this huge driveway. So we go out there on our bikes, our skateboards, all kind of stuff. But we only start, like, halfway down the driveway. So we can go kind of fast, but not too fast because we were only 10. We were so scared. And so, you know, my friend's over. It's the last day of fifth grade. I feel like I'm a grown man by this point. And so I get on my Razor scooter, just the little handlebars and a platform and a little flimsy brake that literally all it does is touch the wheel, and that's supposed to stop you somehow. Um, and so I get to the very top of the driveway, and I'm like, dude, I'm going all the way down this driveway. And my mom's like, oh, you should do that. And I'm like, mom, I'm a grown man. I just got done with fifth grade. You know, I checked under my arm. Pretty sure I had an armpit hair come up the other day. So I think I know what I'm doing right now. So I get to the top of the driveway, and I push off, uh, I think it's like five or six times, as hard as my chubby little legs would push. And so I'm going full speed down this driveway, and the only thing my friend hears when I go past him is I'm just going, too fast, too fast, too fast, too fast, too fast. And I know that I couldn't stop. So at the beginning, I thought that I had faith in myself. I thought I had faith in my brake if that failed. But in reality, I got down to the bottom of the driveway and started going up. And I was like, all right, cool. Gravity's going to take over. Gravity's going to keep me from going even faster. And that's going to be all good. And then I hit a little bit of speed wobble. And it flipped my handlebars. And my chunky self flew through the air. And I hit the driveway and ate pavement and just laid there for like 10 minutes in agonizing pain. I still have scars on my hand from when I was 10 years old and flipped off my scooter onto the driveway. So, and I thought I had faith in myself. I thought that I could go down the driveway. And then halfway down when I realized that wasn't going to happen, I thought I had faith in my brake. And my brake did absolutely nothing. I actually gained speed with my feet on the brake the entire time. But in the end, uh, all, my faith failed. My faith in those things didn't work out. So how are we supposed to not let our circumstances affect our faith in God? Well, this week we're going to focus on Daniel chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Uh, we're going to stay in that chapter for most of the night. 
Um, but before we get too far into it, let's do a little background on the book of Daniel. Uh, Daniel starts out with Daniel and uh, three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, who are in Jerusalem. They're from Israel. And King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes in, and he takes over Jerusalem. He takes over the entire area, and that's now his territory. And so before, uh, before they leave the area, King Nebuchadnezzar tells his, uh, his chief eunuch in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, the chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the, and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with all knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So we've got these four guys uh, that are taken, and King Nebuchadnezzar wants to change them. He wants to mold them so that they will become uh, advisors for the Babylonian court. And so he takes them, but these weren't just random people that King Nebuchadnezzar thought that he would take. Uh, Three things stand out about these guys. Uh, First of all, they were all young. These guys were teenagers, they were young adults, they were probably your age when they were taken from Israel and they were taken to Babylon in order to be used by the king so that he could advance his kingdom even more. Uh, second, they were of either royalty or nobility. So they weren't just kind of like random people that were like, oh yeah, I mean, that'd be cool to go like, hang out with the king or whatever. The king saw them and said, no, these guys are the best of the best and I'm taking them with me so that they can accomplish all the things that I want them to accomplish. Uh, and third, they were just very intelligent, good-looking, healthy people. Like, this would be like the One Direction or the Instinct of Israel. And he's like, these guys are hot, they're smart, I'm going to take them, and I'm going to make them into my advisors because they will do better than everybody else. So you've got these four uh, healthy, intelligent guys that King Nebuchadnezzar took in order to make advisors. Um, and the big thing with, with that was they were incredibly smart, so they knew what the king wanted. They, he could easily tell them all the things that he wanted them to do, and they would grasp it, but they also weren't too old that they were stuck in their own ways. They weren't stuck in, um, in choices they'd made in their past. They weren't stuck in old habits. They were easy to mold and change into exactly what the king wanted. And so it would have been easy for them to give in. It would have been easy for them to let go of their faith, to let go of the faith that they had in God and what they knew that God can do, and to just give in to the king and just take the power and the authority that he had given them in order to make a name for themselves. And so this brings us to our first point. All things are a part of God's plan. You know, there will be many times in your life where you're put in a place where you don't want to be. Um, you'll most likely never be taken captive by a king and taken to a foreign land, have to deal with all that kind of stuff and being a Babylonian advisor. But... What about your classrooms? What about something as small as that? You know, you're in a classroom that you don't want to be in. You know, you don't like the teacher. You don't know anybody in the class. And so you let that affect your witness to the people in that class because you just don't want to be there. Um, I had plenty of classes in high school and even in college where I, I sat there and I didn't see anybody that I knew. I didn't see anybody that I thought I connected with. And so I let that affect uh, how, I, how I thought in that class, how I acted in that class. And it, uh, it immediately changes the way that we view everything. It can immediately change your mood as soon as you walk into the class with the mindset of, oh, I don't want to be here. This isn't where I feel like I want to be. So I'm just going to use this as just to like sleep or I'm just going to disconnect from everybody and get away from it all. But the problem with that is we go from being on mission and seeing the classroom as an opportunity to share the love of Christ with other people and we turn it into a, a place just for us where we become selfish and we become apathetic to the people in that class. Whether or not they know Christ we shut ourselves down so then we don't uh, have a witness anymore. We don't put ourselves out there so that we can love on other people and that we can share that with other people. Um, what about losing somebody very close to you? You know, uh, what if you're going through a situation where you've lost a relative or a friend 
And it's a very, very difficult situation to be in. Um, and it's hard not to have those feelings of abandonment and of anger towards God when you're dealing with that. Um, it's easy to lose faith in something like that happens because we don't understand. And we just don't get why God would put them through that, why God would put their family through that or put us through that. Um, and we let that anger and we let that grief cloud our view of God's plan. You know, we, we look at those things and it's very, very easy to do that when we're in that serious of a situation. We let those things cloud how we see God. We let those things limit our view because God's view is so much greater than ours. Um, what about addictions? You know, maybe there's something in your life that you can't get rid of. You know, maybe there's something that's got a hold on you, something that you run to whenever you're dealing with those tough situations, those tough circumstances in life, and you use that to cope with, with whatever life is throwing at you. Um, you know, the circumstances in your life seem too much, and so you turn to drugs or other idols or alcohol or anything like that uh, to, to relieve yourself and bring some kind of temporary comfort. But that will not last. If you're using other things, anything else other than Christ to try to fill that void, to try to, to help yourself get through something, it's not going to last. And it may seem okay for a while, but trust me, only, the only thing that that's going to do is that's just going to slowly make you uh, realize that everything else around you isn't getting any better. You're going to feel happy for a little bit, and then you're just going to see that it's destroying everything else around you, and it will not change the way that your heart is feeling when you're going through something like that. And so those are all ways that we take our faith away from God. And we take our faith away from those things and put it in something else. What we have to realize is that our circumstances don't matter most. Our reactions are what really matters. Um, God has a plan for all things. And even when it seems unfair or the future seems bleak, he will always, his plan will always trump our plan. Uh, we have the choice every day to react out of faith or to try our own way. And we have to constantly persevere to make the choice of faith. Uh, we have to die to ourselves we have to carry our cross, and we have to constantly be looking at the heart of Christ in order to have that faith, in order to see that his way is better than our way, and to see that everything that he's doing, we don't, we don't necessarily see how that's going to end. But we have to have that faith that everything that he does is for our good, and that everything that he's doing is for, um, is for us, and to, to help better us. So let's go back to the story of Daniel. Uh, Daniel and his three friends have been taken from Israel uh, to Babylon by the king, and the king's trying to make them into advisors. And so King Nebuchadnezzar makes an enormous statue. Um, it's 90 feet tall, and it's 9 feet wide. And it's not clear, but it either represents King Nebuchadnezzar himself or represents one of his gods. So there's a solid gold, 90 feet high statue. And uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 6 and 7 of Daniel say, Whoever does not fall down, and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the king sets up this huge idol. The king is saying, telling everybody in his entire kingdom, like, hey, if you don't bow down and you don't worship this idol that I have put up and that I have made, I'm going to throw you into a burning, fiery furnace. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I never want to be burned alive. Like, to me, that's up there with getting, like, stabbed in a public bathroom or something. Like, that just sounds <laughs> terrible, right? And so, like, have you, I mean, have you even ever, like, burned your hand on, like, a pot or something, and then the next, like, four weeks you try to take a shower, and even just, like, the mist of the shower is, like, stinging your hand? I just don't want to have to deal with that. And that's the punishment for them not completely disregarding their God, 
for disregarding the God of Abraham, for disregarding their faith and everything and just bowing down and worshiping this golden idol. And so naturally, Daniel and his three friends all refused to worship this idol. They were just like, no, like I'm not going to do it. And so this enrages the king. And uh, he commands that the three, of, the three of them be brought to him. And he warns them one more time that if they don't bow down and they don't worship this idol, then he's going to throw them in the fiery furnace. And, and then he kind of mocks them, and he mocks God at the same time while he's doing it. And he says, and who is this God who will deliver you out of my hands? So automatically we see that Nebuchadnezzar is kind of full of himself, and he's kind of arrogant. You know, he doesn't even think that there's a God out there that's more powerful than he is, and he's just a man. He thinks because he is the king and because he is the ruler of this entire region that he is the one that controls the destiny of all these people just because he's put in a position of power. But I love how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond to this. And they say to the king in verses 16 through 18, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us out of your hand. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So we've got a king of an entire region. Like This guy has just taken over, and, uh, taken over Jerusalem, taken over Israel, and he's on his way to take over many more areas. And he is the king over all these armies, the king over everything. And then these three young adults, three kids, three students your age go up to the king, and they're just like, no, nah, like, we're not going to do this. Like, we're not worshiping this golden image just because you say that we have to. We know that our God will rescue us. We have faith in him. And even if he doesn't rescue us, we know that anything that we do for, for our God, even if that means death, is better than giving up uh, all of our freedoms, giving up everything just to worship this idol for you just so we can live a little bit longer. And so this outrages the king even more, and he orders that the furnace be heated seven times normal, or seven times more than what was normal for him to just burn somebody else. And so this brings us to our second point. Uh, This might sound kind of weird, but God is not concerned with our happiness, our comfort, or our plans, but God is immensely concerned with our faith in him. Um... Have you, like, have you ever been at school or just out somewhere and you've seen somebody that, you know, just having a rough day, they, they look like they don't really know a lot of people, they don't look like they have a lot of friends, and you feel like tugging on your heart and just go talk to them, just go say, hey, what's up, like, how's it going, and have that conversation with them, but you let your comfort and think, like, nah, like, I don't really know them, or like, ah, they, they don't look like they would fit in with my group of friends, they don't look like it would be somebody I would want to hang out with, so you just don't do it. I know I've done that plenty of times, just letting my comfort get in the way of that. But the problem isn't feeling uncomfortable. The problem comes when we lose that faith in God because we want to retain our comfort. We don't want to do what he's calling us to do because we think it's going to make us feel uncomfortable or we don't feel safe in that situation. Um, But that's not just letting our comfort win. That's us telling God that we don't have faith that he can work in those situations. And in that specific situation, that's also telling God that that person doesn't matter enough for us to step out of our comfort zone. That that person isn't really worth us getting out and going and spreading the name of Christ and spreading his love just by going and talking to somebody that we wouldn't normally talk to. Or have you ever felt like maybe God wanted you to do something that directly harmed your happiness? Um, maybe that's breaking off a harmful relationship that you shouldn't be in in the first place. Uh, maybe it means giving up partying every weekend and trying to look cool and just be like the popular kid. Uh, for you guys, maybe it means not trying to hook up with every girl you meet just to look cool for your friends. Um, may, for you ladies, maybe it means not, uh, not talking bad about other girls behind their back to make yourselves feel better. Because all those things, they make us happy for a little bit, but then we realize that all that does is widen the void. All, we, all it does is tear our hearts apart even more, and we go further and further from God as we go to these things that try to bring us pleasure and try to bring us comfort. And that will never satisfy us. 
Guys, God isn't concerned with our feelings of happiness or his feelings of comfort. Because if he was concerned with our comfort, he wouldn't, Jesus wouldn't have spent so much time telling everybody how hard the Christian life is. The, the, the fact that Jesus told us to take up our cross and to die to ourselves doesn't make sense if God is concerned with how comfortable we are. Um, God wouldn't have asked Jonah to go out of his comfort zone and go reach an unreached people group that wouldn't have understood him, that, that Jonah was afraid was going to turn it back on him if God was concerned with our happiness. And he also wouldn't allow Jonah to be swallowed and thrown up by a whale if he was concerned with how comfortable we were. Uh, Paul wouldn't have spent so much, much, so much of his life in prison if God was concerned with our comfort. He wouldn't have had to spend so much time sitting in prison and looking past his afflictions and looking to the heart of Christ if, he, if God was concerned with our comfort. And in this case, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would, would not have been thrown into the fire if God was concerned with our comfort. Uh, God's not a genie that just grants our wishes. He's our father that gives us situations to grow from so that we can see him more clearly and lean into him. So let's go back to Daniel one more time. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are taken and they're bound and thrown into this furnace. Uh, and the furnace is so hot that the guards that are taking them to this furnace just get burned up from even being near it at all in the first place. Uh, then verses uh, 24 and 25 say, Nebuchadnezzar declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So the king goes back to the furnace, and he realizes that his guards are dead, that his guards got even, just got close to the, to the furnace, and they burned up and died on the spot. And then he looks, and he thinks, like, wait, we just put three guys tied up into the furnace, and now I see four guys that are unbound walking around the fire and just kind of hanging out and just doing whatever. Um, so when they, when they take them out of the furnace, the guys aren't even harmed by the fire. Uh, the uh, scripture says there are no singed hairs, their cloaks weren't burnt, and they didn't even smell like fire. I can't even sit within four feet of a campfire without feeling like my skin is melting and then smelling like smoke for the next three weeks. And these guys were in a furnace that was heated seven times more than it was supposed to have been, intended to kill them, and they weren't even harmed at all. They didn't even smell like smoke. So when the king sees this, he commends the three for their faithfulness to God. He takes them out of the furnace and he calls them out. And the God that the king was mocking before this even happened, he, he praises that God. He commends them that they were faithful to this God, and he didn't even think that God could save them at the beginning of the story. Uh, and then at the beginning of chapter 4, if you go a little bit further, it shows King Nebuchadnezzar praising God. It shows the king realizing how off he was. It shows the king realizing that there's something else out there that's greater than him. And it humbled him, and it brought him to the point of praising a God that he didn't even think could save three uh, teenagers from being thrown into a furnace. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stayed faithful to God despite their insurmountable circumstances. They looked past all those things, and they stayed faithful to who God was. They had every chance in the world to give up. They had all the chances that they needed to just give in to the king and say, okay, well, yeah, we'll, we'll worship your idol so we don't get thrown into the fire. But they didn't risk losing that relationship with God. They didn't risk losing that right standing with God just to give up and just to throw in the towel and to go in and worship uh, this king's idol. Uh, they refused to give anyone or anything else glory except for God. And they knew that if they did that, then they would have God on their side. And maybe he wasn't going to rescue, rescue them in that particular moment, but they didn't really care. 
Like they didn't, that didn't concern them that God wasn't going to, to rescue them right then and there. All they knew was that they wanted to be faithful to God and that God did not want them to worship those idols. And so they took that moment to give glory to God instead and then God pulled through in the end when they didn't even see it coming to rescue them and to save them from those situations. So this is our main point tonight. Our circumstances aren't most important because God is bigger than our circumstances. Guys, no matter what your circumstance is, no matter what you're dealing with, regardless of what it is, if it's the loss of a loved one, if it's struggling with an addiction, if it's just uh, being complacent and apathetic, guys, your problems are never bigger than your God. God always wants to work for you and to do things for you. Um, in, P- in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, it says, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Guys, that is why God is trustworthy. The fact that he refines us, the fact that he doesn't just let us sit and keep making mistakes, but that he forgives us and he gives us new uh, experiences and opportunities in life to come back and show, uh, show him how faithful we are in him. To show him how much we really love him by the way that we live our lives. And he, God doesn't create anything bad or evil, but he does allow hardships in our lives so that we can focus on him and that we can rely on him and lean into him with everything. Um, the verse in, in 1 Peter says that our faith is of more worth than gold. So more, more, of more value than the most precious thing on earth is your faith. More important than what other people think of you, more important than the people that you hang out with, more important than what school you go to or what college you plan to go to or what, you, what you're planning on doing with your life, more important than all of those things is the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. Um, that's the only thing that God is concerned with is our faith in him. And he wants this relationship with us. He wants us to trust him because he knows that through this faith is the only way that we will experience true happiness. He knows that the only thing that is gonna fill the void that was left in our heart through, through sin, through us being distanced from him, distant from him, is our faith in him and the way that he works for us through Jesus. Uh, maybe we're looking at our circumstances all wrong. You know, maybe we think because something bad is happening that we've done something wrong or that we've messed up. But we're too short-sighted to see everything that God is doing. You know, God sees things from a completely different perspective than we do. Uh, he sees all the elaborate details he sees all the things that we don't. He sees the ways that he is providing for us, and he sees all the ways that he will work in our lives for his glory. Uh, Oswald Chambers once said, if we ever are going to be made into wine, we will have to be crushed. You cannot drink grapes. You guys, if, if we're going to be wine that is poured out by Jesus for his glory, if we're going to be that cup that's poured out, continually filled up and poured out for the glory of God, then first we have to be crushed so we can be made into that wine. Because we have to look at these circumstances and not view them just through the lens of what they look like here on earth and look at them through the, like, all the, only the bad side, but have faith in God, even when we can't see the light at the end of the tunnel, have faith that God is the one that's orchestrating all of this, that God knows how he's gonna work through this, that God knows how he's gonna get us through all of these different situations, and God is gonna be the one that rescues us. We're not the chief end of our existence. Jesus is the chief end of our existence. And he disciplines us like a father disciplines a son that he loves. And God puts those various trials in our lives so that our faith uh, will be refined, that we will look to God more and more for everything that happens in our lives. So, guys, I mean, regardless of what your circumstance is, your circumstance will never be any bigger than your God is. 
He's, he knows what you're dealing with. He knows what you're struggling with. He's the one that put those things in your life in the first place so that you would look to lean into him and to lean into his understanding because he is far greater than we will ever be. Um, so the guys are going are gonna to play one more song. Um, let me pray for you guys, and uh, we'll, we'll get ready to worship after that. God, we love you. God, we thank you so much for who you are and for all the incredible things that you do for us, God. Um, God, I pray for, for anybody in here right now going through any difficult circumstances or dealing with, with difficult situations, God, that in all things that they would just look to you. God, that we would always look to you first, God, and not rely on our own knowledge, rely on our own wisdom, God, because that will always fail. God, that we would always look to you above all things. God, that we would just lean into you with everything that we have. God, that everything that we do would glorify your son, Jesus. That everything that we do would lift high your name and bring glory to you in every aspect of our life. God, we love you. God, we thank you so much for who you are and everything that you do for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.